0: Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Now this is the second talk in this series, and if you want to catch the first one, which was Simon's talk last week, then go and look for it on the Riverside YouTube channel. <laughs> and you'll see it in glorious, glorious Technicolor. Although I think you need some makeup for the. Um... <laughs> I used to help today. <laughs> this series explores the imperative to live out the Christian life now, with intentionality and with purpose. To make Jesus the centre of our lives, just as Paul urges the Colossians to do that very thing. Life is busy, isn't it? It's complicated, it's challenging, and it's full of distractions. And making Jesus the centre of our lives is never easy. It's hard work. And living for him... We're kind of beset by trials and tribulations, aren't we? Things come to try and trip us up. And Paul's concerned that there are distractions for the Colossians, there's false teaching, there's a false gospel going around, which is no real gospel, and he's worried that the Colossians will get derailed. And today we face similar challenges, although it's not necessarily the false teaching that was around in Paul's time. But we face the challenge of communicating the good news of Jesus Christ into a world where there are a sea of voices shouting out messages into our lives, moment by moment, day by day. We are overwhelmed with media, aren't we? Just a whole load of stuff coming at us. And that stuff is drowning out. The message that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Now I have to say the church doesn't help itself sometimes in this respect. With conflicting messages, division. Maybe not actually showing who Jesus is. But the world is really desperate for this good news. Really desperate to hear about the good news of Jesus. And as we unpack the passage that we're going to look at today, we begin, we can begin to reevaluate our priorities. And we can perhaps connect with one of the most fundamental truths of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. This is going to be fun. And that truth is that Christ, the living Jesus, lives in us with the certainty of glory. Hope is not a wish. It's not wishy washy washy. Wishy washy. It's certain. It's something that you can rely on, something you can trust. God's promise is that we'll all be sharers in God's glory as his adopted children. And through the life and death of Jesus Christ, we have left the kingdom of darkness and we're now in the kingdom of light. Our sins, past, present and future, have been covered by the death of Jesus on the cross. And his death has become our death and we, we, we identify with his death upon the cross so that we can receive the forgiveness that he offers us. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again. So his new life is our new life. His life is now living in and through us. He is the firstborn from the dead. And this was God's plan from the very beginning. That in Christ we should know God. And know him personally and intimately. The Messiah came and he's now the king of the world. And he's come to reconcile all things to God, to bring peace and reconciliation. And all creation is crying out and waiting for that reconciliation to be completed. It's waiting for the new heaven and the new earth to be formed, and for God to come and finally live amongst his people, so that we'll never be a separation again. And that is the glorious end of Christ. In us, the hope of glory. So here's the overview of what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to look, be looking at suffering servanthood and the call to serve, the calling of God on our lives. We're going to look at the mystery that God has concealed down through the ages, that now Paul says is being revealed for everybody to see and know about, and that is Christ in you. We're going to talk about Paul's desire to see Christians grow to maturity so that they're not going to be derailed, they're not going to be distracted, that they're going to hold fast and carry on being good Christians, witnessing to the love and mercy of God. And then he wants to talk about unity and wisdom. And we're going to unpack those verses, and we're going to be looking at Colossians 1, 24 to 2.5. And let's go. So here's the first verse. Now rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction. You see, in these verses, Paul is beginning to set a scene. It's something that runs through all his letters and all his writings. Is that Paul identifies with Christ. And Paul is saying to new Christians and Christians everywhere that your identity now is in Christ. This is who you are, and therefore this is how you should live. Christ in you. And Paul identifies with Jesus as the suffering servant that set out in Isaiah 53. And Paul is willing to sacrifice himself for the gospel. And he urges us to be that kind of people. The kind of people who take up their cross daily to follow Jesus. Now, have you ever suffered a setback? Have you ever had criticism or ridicule for being a Christian? Have you had the pointing finger, the little snigger, the old poor you kind of, you know, look? To be honest with you, I don't think that's really suffering in the sense that what Paul is talking about here. If you read about his conversion on the road to Damascus and he ends up being blind and they take him into Damascus and then Jesus speaks to Ananias and says, I want you to go and heal this man because I have set him aside and I've told him how much he's going to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And Paul embraces that suffering. And that can be both inspiring and scary. And it can actually challenge our comfort and maybe our complacency. You know, would we be prepared to suffer for Jesus, to die for Jesus? Would we lay down our lives in the way that Paul is laying down his life, pouring it out for the sake of the gospel? Now, I don't think in these verses that Paul is anyway suggesting that the suffering of Christ was inadequate. But what he does know is that when the kingdom advances, it's painful. Christians have to contend with the world, with the criticism and the culture of the world, We have to contend with our own weaknesses and our own flaws. We have to contend with the fact that there is an evil out there that opposes us every step of the way. And therefore, when the kingdom advances, it only comes at a cost. There has to be a sacrifice. There has to be a payment. And this is the suffering that Paul says we have to embrace as Christians to advance the gospel. Now, I have to say, I can't say that rejoicing comes easy when you're persecuted. We know Paul's echoing the teaching of Jesus, isn't he? And he said to his disciples, "Now, "Now count it all joy, jump up and down with jubilation when people come against you for my sake. Laugh, rejoice at the face in the face of persecution." Now, I did experience this once. I had somebody at work who was, uh, you know, I've forgiven him, so it's okay now. But he went out of his way to undermine me in every turn. And, it, and I was, you know, kind of getting really depressed about this. But then I remembered these verses about rejoicing. So I started to rejoice. And as I rejoiced, there just came an inner peace. So in any situation where there's a confrontation, I went into it with an inner peace. And a sense of rejoicing. And I tell you what, boy, did that make him mad. <laughs> he was more and more infuriated because I wouldn't rise. You see, our rejoicing and our blessing of those who come against us are the weapons by which we overcome. And it's counterintuitive, isn't it? Somebody comes against you, you want to go, uh. But no, Jesus says rejoice. Jesus suffered. So as his followers, we should expect no less. Now we're very fortunate, aren't we, to live in a tolerant culture. Now in Paul's days, he's bringing a message that is so countercultural that the inevitability of persecution and death is just goes without saying. But you know, we're against the culture in many ways. And we have a message that says, hey, this is the way to live. Forgiveness, love, kindness, goodness. These are the things of the message of Christ. I have become a servant by the commission of God. Gave me for the sake of his body, which is the church. You see, we're all servants in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not like any other kingdom. Jesus, the king, left us this supreme example of what it is to be one of his followers. Jesus said, I've come to serve and not to be served. And on the night when he's meeting his disciples for the last time at that supper... He does something absolutely, truly amazing. He takes off his outer garments. He picks up a bowl of water and a towel and he goes round and he washes the feet of his disciples. God washing your feet. How did that feel? How humbling. How humbling for the disciples. To have the Lord of all creation, the everlasting, living God, washing their dirty, smelly feet. In the kingdom of God, Jesus said, the greatest will be the servant of all. It's upside down. And Jesus came to serve and to save humanity by humbling himself to die upon the cross. And his kingdom challenges hierarchy. It challenges authorities. It challenges rule. It challenges the way that people run things. Because they don't run things for the benefit of people, they run it for the benefit of themselves in many cases. And Jesus said, That's not my kingdom. That's not my way. We need to be as Jesus, servants with humility and we're all commissioned to serve can i tell you there is no unemployment in the kingdom of god everybody has a calling everybody has a role to serve what is your calling what is it that god has laid upon your heart to do What is it that you're involved in? Where is your passion that God has stirred up in you to do something for the kingdom of God? To represent Jesus in your community, in your family. When we were very young Christians, Angela and I felt that we were called to go to Papua New Guinea as missionaries. So we went up to All Nations and we were interviewed. And these very discerning people at All Nations determined that we were just not yet ready as Christians to, you know, cross the street, let alone go to Papua New Guinea. So they very kindly said, we don't think you're really ready for this. So we came back and they said, go and work in the Sunday school. Well, that's what they do with all new Christians, well, they did in those days. Go and work in the Sunday school. doesn't matter if you're gifted, just go and work in the Sunday school. You'll learn so much, you know. And so we did and we, we worked with young people and we worked with children. I'm still working with children today. It's frenetic and it's fun, most of the time. But each one of us has a calling Each one of us is called to serve. So where are you serving? In your church, in your family, in your workplace, in your school, in your college, your university. You know, serving to the kingdom is like air, is to breathing. If you're not serving, wow. If you're not serving, you're dead. (laughs) You never retire. How old am I now? Anyway. God's called us to accomplish works that he's prepared beforehand. We serve him to bring him glory. We serve to witness to others. We serve with love, with hope, and with joy. We serve one another as members of the same body, of the one community that is the church. You see, we're all one in Christ Jesus. No one's excluded. Everybody is welcomed. Everybody's accepted and affirmed, and we love one another, and we see Christ in each other. Now turn around and look at somebody and see Christ in them. Go on. Now you're going to have to see past their flaws, those irritating little habits. Just see past that, and see Jesus. See Jesus in them. You see, this is the magnificent vision that Paul paints for the church. And it came into being when the church was birthed at Pentecost. And the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and tongues of fire came upon the head and they spoke in tongues and people were amazed at the outpouring and the church began. So when you become a Christian, you have to be part of the body of Christ. Christ. You can't be out there as a lone ranger. It's not the way it works. If you want to know your calling, you want to know how to serve, you need to be part of a community of God. Giving yourself over to serving so that the good news of Jesus Christ can be spread. To present you the word in all its fullness, the mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, this was the plan. It's been hidden for ages, but now it's been revealed You see, the sinfulness of humanity was never a surprise to God. He always had a plan to deal with it. He starts with a plan that's set out in the Bible, the word of God. And it's God's story unfolding and it's changing and it's moving. Things progress. Things are left behind. New things come. It's a redemption story. It's a story of God's plan to save people all the people of the earth to know the blessings he chose a particular people the people of israel they were in covenant relationship with him and the covenant was very simple you keep these rules and i will bless you you don't keep these rules there's going to be consequences and tried as hard as they could they couldn't keep the rules and they couldn't keep the covenant and so god comes up with his ultimate plan which is to come in the form of Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. And he comes to deal with the sins of the world. And he comes with a new covenant. But this time, instead of there being an agreement between two parties, where one party has to keep the agreement and the other party keeps the agreement, God says, "Ah, there's only one way to make this work. I'm going to have to keep both sides of the covenant. I'm going to have to deal with your sinfulness and make you perfect through Jesus' death on the cross. And then, because you're perfect in Christ, I'm then going to be able to bless you every single day. Thousands upon thousands of blessings. New every morning are your blessings, says the psalmist. And they are too many to count. And that's only now made possible because we are in this new relationship with Jesus. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, comes to serve and to die for our failures. He comes to serve, he dies, and then he comes back from the dead, the firstborn from the dead. And that changes everything. Who could possibly imagine God becoming a human being, being fully God, yet fully human, just like us? Who couldn't imagine that the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, would come and die upon the cross to save us from our wrongdoings? What a mystery, and yet it's true. God came, God did it. And the outworking of that salvation plan is equally startling it's christ in us the hope of glory christ in you the hope of glory the son of god is the image of the invisible god the firstborn over all creation for in him all things were created things in the heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, On the cross. The image of God dwells in you. Jesus dwells in you. Each and every day you can have your own personal Pentecost. Each and every day you can be filled again and again and again with the presence of Jesus. Every day, because he's dealt with our sin, he's dealt with our flaws, our wrongdoing, and now he just sees us in Christ as the perfect person that he always wanted us and made us to be. Are you perfect? Well, you don't feel it, do you? But God says you are. So, who are you going to believe? are you going to believe God or are you going to believe your own self just turn to somebody and say you're perfect yeah you're struggling with this aren't you I can tell ok settle down The gospel is about the life and the death of Jesus, but it's also about his resurrection. You know, and as much as we speak about Jesus' death on the cross, we should speak as much about his resurrection and the experience that we have of Christ living in us. Because if that's our reality, then that is part of the good news of the gospel, Because when Jesus is in us, where we go, he goes. His presence is with us. And his presence has the power to change situations. (coughs) His presence can bring peace into places where it doesn't feel very peaceful. When you're out on the street as a street passer and you're going along and you see a bunch of young people... We have a great strategy. We walk into the middle of them with lollipops. And as they take the lollipops and they put them in their mouths, it all goes quiet. And it feels like peace is descending. See, we carry the presence of Jesus. We carry the presence of Jesus to bring comfort. We can bring the presence of Jesus with love and joy and wisdoms and miracles, and healing, and prophecies, and words, and knowledge, and wisdom, and all those other wonderful things that Paul talks about as gifts of the Spirit. And we can experience that presence, not just here at Riverside. It's great to walk in here and know that God is here. But can I tell you, it's far better if you take him with you when you leave, Don't leave him behind. Let him be a presence in your home, in your workplace, in your educational place, in your social setting, wherever you are. Let him be the presence with you. And you'll find that you might be prompted to pray quietly about something, a situation you find yourself in. You might find yourself prompted to show compassion to show love, to share wisdom. His presence can bring joy and laughter. You see, God isn't against laughter or joy or fun or having a good time. That's a lie. And we need to refute that lie because we Christians are the happiest people on the planet. And we don't need drugs. Well, apart from the pills we have to take to keep the body going. He can bring weeping and sorrow. And I have to say, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon me this morning, I was just broken with tears for Ukraine. And we witness and we reveal the presence of Jesus in our lives. And our compassion will be a light in the darkness. Our love for all will be an attraction that people will find hard resist. And because we have the presence of Jesus in our lives and we can testify to that, then that just gives, it affirms the rest of the gospel message. It affirms the death and resurrection of Jesus because, hey, what is it about you that's different? And we should always be ready To explain why that is. Wow. You see if Jesus sees us loving one another. And forgiving one another. And giving out forgiveness. Wherever we go. Then the message of the cross. Goes out with power. And then there's a certainty of glory. The certainty of living with God forever. And that new heaven and earth picture that are now one. God will no longer be up there somewhere. He'll be living with his people and we will be living in the light of his presence. Now that is indeed glorious. He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works with me. Jesus is our message today, backed up by his living presence in us. And we need to encourage one another to press on, to stir one another up to those good works, to grow spiritually, to put our roots down in Christ, to know the love of God that surpasses all understanding and to know the wisdom that God gives us so that we can be taught and we can be teachers to one another. And God's wisdom moulds our character, informs our thinking by the renewing of our minds. We begin to take on Jesus, to shine Jesus into the world. A maturity that Paul wants is that we fall more and more in love with Jesus, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. And we fall more and more in love with one another. Forgiving one another, loving one another, despite those little flaws that you saw when you turned to one another and said, I see Jesus in you. Majority is the ability to speak the truth with genuine love into somebody who is not living up to the potential that they have in Christ. To say to somebody, you know, you're better than that. You're better than that. You can do better than that. You can live better than that. And maturity is being able to be spoken to. So that we can treat each other with honour and respect. We can encourage repentance. We can forgive unconditionally. And we're open to challenge and encouragement. It's maturity is love in action. It's every day experiencing Jesus in us so that we have the energy to accomplish all that we're called to do. So what challenges your maturity? Still struggling with that temper? What struggles have you with your maturity? Are you still a babe in Christ? Or are you growing up to be a mature Christian? Are you being a role model to those around you? Are you open to the Holy Spirit to bring change? Are you open to Jesus to mold you? Are you up for character buildings which will come with various trials and tribulation because God doesn't give you patience? He puts you in situations where you have to grow patience. Don't say that. (laughs) Not helpful. I'm not going to read the next, but you can read it for yourself while I talk because we're running short of time. Paul wants two things in this last section. He wants the Colossians and the Laodiceans to know God's hidden treasure now revealed. He wants them to know Christ and he wants them to know that all the wisdom that they or ever need can be found in Christ. Jewish laws and traditions are necessary. Beliefs from their previous pagan religions can be discarded. There's no special wisdom, only Christ. There's no need to graft anything onto the gospel because Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the wisdom. Jesus is all you need, is the message Paul has for these Christians. And back in those days, they didn't have a New Testament. They didn't have commentaries. They didn't have Bible study notes. You know, interestingly, one of the biggest revivals in the Christian church took place in China. Missionaries were expelled. There was very little of the word of God. And yet, the church exploded as the Holy Spirit moved. And as people saw Christ in these new believers, in these Chinese believers, people wanted to know more. And the church grew and grew and grew. The bath was the baptistry. You know, sometimes I think we have too much material about Jesus and too little of the experience of Christ in us. Now, I'm not suggesting you go and burn your Bible, but I am suggesting that you seek more of the presence of Jesus in your life. Seek his presence in everyday activities. Cultivate him and have that ongoing conversation with him. Live as if he's walking beside you every step of the day. You know, if you want to, if you want to kind of deal with temptation, just imagine that Jesus is walking with you. Oh, perhaps I won't do that Perhaps I won't say that. Perhaps I will control my tongue. Perhaps this isn't the way to behave. And secondly, Paul wants them to encourage, to be encouraged in heart and united in love. So what does that mean? Well, Paul writes to the Ephesians, for, telling them they should maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity above agreement. Unity above about being right. Now, we've just embarked on a quite exciting journey as a church. We're becoming all-inclusive. Now, that doesn't mean we serve unlimited alcohol. Okay? If, for any of you that have been on all-inclusive holidays, it's not that. We're becoming an occlus- inclusive and affirming church, accepting and affirming that LGBTQ people can experience the indwelling presence of Jesus. And we affirm that LGBTQ plus people can enjoy loving and monogamous relationships. Now, this is a major shift. But I believe it puts loving one another in its fullest context. We are to love one another except that group of people. I don't think that's what Jesus meant. So we're to love one another. Now it's not an easy journey for everyone. And we respect and love those who are not there yet. And we love and respect those who may not ever get there yet. But what we do do is echo what Paul is striving to say to the Colossians and the Laodiceans. Love and unity. Or as we've put it, evidently, with a lovely phrase called yielded unity. Consensus. And what that means is we don't insist that we're right. That's a relief, isn't it? And we don't is- insist that you're wrong. That's even bigger relief. But what we do insist on is that we love and respect one another. That we love each other just as Jesus loved us. And we choose to yield our right to be right in order to maintain the unity of the body. And we do this through the love and presence of Christ that's in us, flowing out to us, from us to everybody around us. We do this to maintain the bond of peace. We do this, in part, to maintain the witness of the church because Jesus said, by your love, people will know that you're my disciples. And we do this because Jesus spent a whole chunk of a prayer time praying to the Father that his church would be one. And I think if we're going to honour the prayer of Jesus, then we should go out of our way to maintain the unity of the church in the bond of peace. Because Jesus is in the person next to you, whether you agree with him or not.